As a church, we are, we're doing an Advent series this uh, December, and this, this being week three uh, is all about, about joy. And the title that we've chosen for this message is Let Earth Receive Her King. If you've been around in recent weeks, the whole theme of our Advent series this year is taken from the carol Joy to the World. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. That's what I'm going to talk about this morning. It goes on to say, let every heart prepare him room and heaven and nature sing. So this, this week, we're really going to pick up on the theme of joy. Joy to the world obviously is a familiar Christmas carol uh, and many people who would not even consider themselves followers of Jesus would know it, even sing it this time of year. Um, and it's an important thing, but to be honest, I'm not sure that joy is necessarily the prevailing emotion for many people this time of year. I think a lot of people, rather than walking in the joy that we're declaring in Joy to the World, are experiencing, I don't know, stress, exhaustion, uh, <laughs> grief. I know for many people, the holiday seasons in general conjure up um, grief, missing maybe loved ones that this season reminds us of. So, you know, it's bittersweet. Um, for some, it's loneliness. For others, it could be worry about any number of things. Um, and more than we care to admit it, even as followers of Jesus, sometimes they can be the, the emotions, the prevailing atmosphere of the holidays. Um, but joy is a very different foundation for our lives than happiness is. Happiness actually makes a very difficult foundation because happiness tends to be fleeting. Happiness sort of tends to come and go. Even within a day, we can have moments of happiness and moments of sadness. Um, and, and happiness, I think, if we, if we reflect on it, tends to be very dependent on our circumstances. Joy is different, though. Joy can prevail in spite of our circumstances. We can walk in joy even in difficult times. And so since joy is the theme today, and since joy also happens to be, in my opinion, a widely misunderstood word, um, I, I thought it'd be helpful for us to turn to uh, a piece produced by a, a group called The Bible Project for a couple of minutes here. It's a, a really good, rich teaching. We got, we got the video here, and also for the podcast, the audio is fantastic. Um, since it's so misunderstood as a word, since this whole video is about the meaning of joy and that joy is so central to the Scripture, I want to take a couple of minutes to set up a framework for understanding joy before we just dive right in and assume we are all talking about the same thing when we say joy. Check this out. Being in a good mood is really great. And most languages have lots of words to describe the experience, like happy, cheerful, joyful, and so on. The same goes for the languages of the Bible. In ancient biblical Hebrew, there's a variety of words, like simcha, sason, or gil. In the Greek New Testament, there's kara, euphrasune, or agaliasis. Each word has its own unique nuance, but they all basically refer to the feeling of joy and happiness. Now, what makes these biblical joy words interesting is noticing the kinds of things that bring happiness and also seeing how joy is a key theme that runs through the whole story of the Bible. Let's start with sources of joy. On page one of the Bible, God says that this world is very good. And so naturally, people find joy in beautiful and good things of life, like growing flocks or an abundant harvest on the hills. The poet of Psalm 104 says a good bottle of wine is God's gift to bring joy to people's hearts. People find joy at a wedding or in their children. There's even a Hebrew proverb that compares the joy that perfume brings to your nose with the joy a good friend brings to your heart. However, 
Human history isn't just a joy fest. The biblical story shows how we live in a world that's been corrupted by our own selfishness. It's marked by death and loss. And this is where biblical faith offers a unique perspective on joy. It's an attitude God's people adopt not because of happy circumstances, but because of their hope in God's love and promise. So when the Israelites were suffering from slavery in Egypt, God raised up Moses to lead them into freedom. And the first thing the Israelites did was sing for joy. Even though they were in the middle of a desert, they were vulnerable, the promised land was still far away, they rejoiced anyway. Later biblical poets looked back on this story and they remembered how the Lord caused his people to leave with joy, his chosen ones with shouts of joy. This joy in the wilderness, this was a defining moment, a way of saying that the joy of God's people is not determined by their struggles, but by their future destiny. This theme appears later in Israel's story, when Israel suffered under the oppression of foreign empires. The prophet Isaiah looked for a day when God would raise up a new deliverer like Moses. That's when those redeemed by the Lord will return to Zion with glad shouts, with eternal joy crowning their heads. Happiness and joy will overtake them. And while the Israelites waited, they chose joy to anticipate their future redemption. This is why it's significant that when Jesus of Nazareth was born, it was announced as good news that brings great joy. We're told that Jesus himself rejoiced and gave thanks to God his Father when he began to announce the kingdom of God. He even taught his followers the same joy in the wilderness, saying, when people reject you or persecute you for following me, rejoice, be very glad, because your reward is great in heaven. After his death and resurrection, Jesus commissioned his followers to go out and announce the good news that he was the risen king of the world. And as they did so, the early Christian communities were known for being full of joy, even when they were persecuted. Like when the Apostle Paul was sitting in a dirty Roman prison, he could say that he's chosen joy, even if he gets executed. He called this the joy of faith or joy in the Lord. He believed it was the gift of God's spirit, a sign that Jesus' presence is with you, inspiring hope in the midst of hardship. And when you believe that Jesus' love has overcome death itself, joy becomes reasonable in the darkest of circumstances. Now, this doesn't mean that you ignore or suppress your sorrow. That's not healthy or necessary. Paul often expressed his grief about missing loved ones or losing friends or his own freedom. He called it being full of sorrow and yet rejoicing. As he acknowledged his pain, he also made a choice to trust Jesus that his loss wouldn't be the final word. This is very different from the trite advice to turn that frown upside down. Christian joy is a profound decision of faith and hope in the power of Jesus' own life and love. And that's what biblical joy is all about. It's a powerful revelation of what joy actually is. That when we say joy to the world, the Lord is come. Uh, I believe that joy is something much more than happiness, that joy is prevailing, that joy is a sure uh, foundation. And we're going to look to a little bit of the, uh, the Christmas story, I guess you, should, you could say, the, 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 the story of the birth of Christ. And I want to look today at the passage where the angels appear uh, to the shepherds, a familiar passage, but I hope that we could look at it with fresh eyes today, looking for joy and looking for where peace comes from, not just Christmas Day, but every day, if we would allow it. And we're going to turn to the key passage today in Luke chapter 2, Luke 2, verses 40 to 20. We'll also 
have it on the screen. It says this. I want to I want to read the read the story, and then I want to I want to draw out some truths, some principles that I believe we can learn from the shepherds and their response to the newborn king. It says, so Joseph went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. And he went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and, he was, and, and was expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no, room, no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. By the way, that's pretty much every time angels appear to the Bible. Often their first words are, don't be afraid, which is what they say on this occasion. Apparently they're terrifying. Don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause, here it is, great joy. This is, what the, this is what the arrival of Christ, even the arrival of these angels declaring Him. Great joy, listen, for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in highest heaven and on earth peace, on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. And when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what they had been told, uh, what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. I think sometimes as we read passages like this, the danger is that if they become familiar, they become quickly over-familiar. And we very quickly oversimplify the beauty, the power actually in these stories, the, the radical choices that these shepherds made, the, the joy and peace that they embrace here. And, and we sort of trivialize it into what we've seen perhaps portrayed in nativity scenes over the years. Tim Keller, one of the, one of the, the pastors in, uh, in New York City where I live, um, of uh, Redeemer Presbyterian, Tim uh, wrote a piece called The Hidden Christmas. And he, he wrote a little commentary on this very story. And he said this, I, th I thought it was worth sharing. He said, at Christmas pageants every year, thousands of children put on bathrobes to act the part of shepherds. We are accustomed to associating shepherds with the birth of Christ, but what are they doing there? What role do they play? Unfortunately, the meaning of the shepherds has, been, has become more sentimental. In our imaginations, they evoke lovely pastoral scenes and little fluffy lambs, but that's not why Luke selected this event out of the many events he could have given us about the birth of Christ. He was trying to teach us something. The shepherds, like Mary, were given an angelic message. That's good to remember. An, an angel, and then, and then soon after a host of angels appears to them. This is no trivial encounter, no. They, they received an angelic message and in response, he says, they listened well, overcame their fears and went out into the world carrying the joyful news to others. 
by studying what they did, we can learn more about how we should be responding to the promises of Christmas. So if I could, from the passage that we just read, I want to offer you five reflections, five things I believe that we can learn Five things that the shepherds teach us in their response to this angelic message and then the arrival of the newborn king. And the first is this, if you're taking notes this morning, is the first is that we can experience great joy. That's the whole theme of this third week of Advent is joy. We can experience joy. Actually, we can experience great joy. Back in verse 10, the angels had said to them, don't be afraid. He said, I bring you good news that will cause great joy. Good news, that will cause great joy. I think those things are connected too, by the way. Yeah, the the word gospel, we often talk about the gospels, um, but the, the gospel itself, the good news of Jesus, the word gospel literally means good news. And I think good news and joy, they go together in the kingdom. The gospel, the message of Jesus, the hope of our salvation uh, in His body and His blood, that's good news for our world that should cause great joy. And I like, by the way, that the angel says that good news and great joy is for all the people, all the people. There's no one that's beyond reach of the salvation that we can find in Jesus. Good news, great joy. And by the way, I believe when we, when we talk about good news and being bearers of good news to our world, it's important to remember that, that um, we are, we're also ought to be carriers not only of good news, but also of good deeds. Amen. My, my mother's maiden name uh, was Joy. She passed away a couple of years ago after a very difficult 14-month um, journey with a brain tumour. It was a very trying time. It was a very difficult, frankly, disorienting time. I was grateful for to be the lead pastor of a church where it was okay to not be okay, if you know what I'm saying, to grieve and to walk it out in faith. But I tell you that the prevailing atmosphere, even of her hospital and eventually her hospice room was one of joy. I mean, she really lived out her maiden name, Joy. Uh, I distinctly remember one occasion um, in the last week of her life, she, um, one of the effects of the tumour was that she would sleep more and more and more and be awake very little. And even when she was awake, she wasn't often as lucid as she had been all her life. Um, but there was one particular occasion as we sat around crying and just kind of processing and, and, um, uh, and there was, she sat bolt right upright in, in, in the hospital bed and just sort of declared to everybody in the room who was there in all of our mixed emotions. And she just said, you know what's wonderful about all of this? <laughs> Please, please explain. I'm not finding anything wonderful today. She said, you know what's wonderful about all of this? She says, we have forever. And then she went back to sleep again. It was like, you know, there was something about her faith and her peace, her honour, her dignity, the way she walked that out, very concerned about all of us. Nurses would come into the hospital room and, you know, attending to her. And she'd say, how are you today? You know, it's like, okay, everyone, mum, the attention's on you right now. How are you today? But that just wasn't the way that she lived. And I think that speaks back to the, this idea that joy, if we really live in it, is not self-centred and joy is not circumstantial. Um, we can carry joy even, even in difficult circumstances. Amen. That's number one, is, is, is to experience great joy. The second thing that I take from the story of the shepherds is we can receive peace. The angel declared in verse 14, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom His favour rests, on earth peace. You know, I think we sometimes imagine when we talk about salvation, we talk about the kingdom of God, um, 
I think even followers of Christ oftentimes imagine that all of those good things are stored up for the other side. <laughs> and of course, there is treasure in heaven. And of course, there is eternity and glory in His presence. I'm not debating that. But also, Jesus did tell us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth, on earth as it is in, in heaven. He, he declared blessing for us in the here and now, life, life overflowing in the here and now. On earth, He says, peace to those on whom his favour rests. Um, in The Hidden Christmas, Tim, Tim Keller went on to say that Christmas means that through the grace of God and the incarnation, peace with God is available. And if you make peace with God, then you can go out and make peace with everybody else. And the more people who embrace the gospel and do that, the better off the world is. Christmas, therefore, means the increase of peace with God and between people across the face of the world. What a beautiful thought that is. You know, it was another passage where it says, uh, where Paul writing to one of the early churches says that, you know, that, that Christ is given to us. He speaks about Christ's ministry of reconciliation, but he says now he's given to us the ministry of reconciliation, the, the ministry of, in other words, of being bringers of peace. Jesus in his famous, famous Sermon on the Mount said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. But notice what he said, because we often have, I think, a very low definition of peace. We think of peace oftentimes, I think, as a passive thing. Peace is just something that I feel or peace is something that I have. Again, this is like the in the, in the same way as happiness can be defined by our circumstances. That's the low form of peace. That is when everything is okay around me, I have a passive sort of peace. But Jesus actually says here, blessed are the peacemakers. Well, it seems to me that there's an active kind of peace as well, because peacemakers are different than peacekeepers. I believe that in the kingdom, we have a calling to be peacemakers, peace bringers, I guess, if I could invent a new word. <laughs> and couldn't we use more peace in the world? I mean, if I was just to think about the last few days here in the UK, I would say possibly some people could use peace in the world. And I imagine right about 12 months from now in the United States where I reside in the aftermath of whatever the outcome of the 2020 election, there will be some who rejoice and some who walk around like it's a funeral. There will be, you know, some who have, you know what I mean, who feel like they've been granted peace because of the outcome of an election and others who will feel that their peace has been robbed, that peace is impossible because of the outcome of an election, and I'm not debating for a minute that those things have a real impact on our world, that we ought to care about them as believers, we ought to be involved in those things, but we can have a peace that is not dictated by our circumstances, amen? That we can be bringers of peace, bringers of joy, regardless of how we feel about our circumstances. In Philippians 4 verse 7, Paul said, the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That's a good promise. But you know what the verse before said? It's probably important to mention this for context because I, I quoted something here that starts with and. So you know it wasn't the beginning of the thought. And the peace of God. Well, what came before that? Well, it was this glorious statement where he says, be anxious for nothing. <laughs> but in all things, in every circumstance, in other words, with prayer and thanksgiving or supplication, make your request be known to God. <laughs> so what's our response instead of being anxious is is that we craft those things that could be worries and we turn them into thanksgiving, to praise, to prayer. And then this beautiful thing happens that in spite of our circumstances, we have 
peace, which transcends understanding, peace beyond our understanding. In other words, peace beyond the way we think or what seems right to us. Peace that transcends understanding can guard both your heart and your mind. That's a beautiful promise. That's a good thought. (laughs) Be anxious for nothing. Verse three. Uh, Sorry, point three (laughs) is draw near to Jesus. The third thing I learned from the shepherds is to draw near to Jesus. I love that they didn't just hear the message, get all excited and then go back to their shepherding business. But it says, verse 15, when the angels left them and had gone into heaven, the angels said to one another, let's go, basically. Let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. I appreciate that they actually made the journey. Now, that might seem kind of obvious, um, but let me, let me maybe use that as a metaphor for a minute. I wonder how often we are content or people around us are content to know about Jesus without actually making the journey to encounter Jesus. Certainly that was my upbringing, growing up around Christian things, going to a Christian school. Uh, I knew about Jesus, but it turns out there's a lot of difference between having information about Jesus and having an encounter with the person of Jesus. That's where my salvation came, was actually making the journey, so to speak. It was a journey, in that case, it was a journey in my heart. But, you know, we... We are, I think it's important, by the way, to connect this thought this week around joy with what next week is all about in Advent, which, which is um, let every heart prepare Him room. So there's, to me, this idea of the kingship of Jesus is connected to making room for God, like making room. And I think it's, I think it's powerful the way that the song is written, let every heart Oftentimes that's where it begins, heart, preparing Him, room, room for, the, room for God, room even just for the possibility of God, amen? Let every heart prepare Him room. I believe drawing near to Jesus is key to experiencing this kind of a lasting joy, which is one of the reasons why we say so often around here that we believe it all, it begins with following Jesus, to, to follow Jesus, then to thrive in community and to make a difference is our, our hope for you if you were to make Liberty Church home. So here's an encouragement. This, this Christmas, let's be intentional amidst all the different things that go on to draw near to Jesus. Let's not only, you know, sing about Jesus or have, you know, nativity scenes and decorations in our home, but especially if you have a relationship with Jesus, make, make room. Make, let your heart make room for Him this, this Christmas. I would encourage you, take time, be intentional, worship, journal, pray, read the Bible, whatever that looks like. In fact, you know, we have in January a tradition in our church every year, starting uh, right after the first Sunday of the year, I think it's the 6th of January, we'll begin as a church 21 days of prayer and fasting. I'd encourage you to think about joining us. And um, it's a time where, you know, we'll give teaching. There'll be a whole lot of things on the website about different types of fast that you could consider doing, but we pray together as a church. I mean, hundreds of us fast together, uh, pray together, walk together, believe together for breakthrough in our lives. It's important to draw near to Jesus. I actually just this week came across something written many years ago by Martin Luther King Jr. And I really like this, this little piece of poetry. He says, Ah, dearest Jesus, holy child, make thee a bed soft undefiled within my heart that it may be a quiet chamber kept for thee. I think for me that just speaks to this time of year and our heart preparing him room, a quiet chamber kept for thee. Let's draw near to Jesus. Fourth thing I take from the story of the shepherds is that they spread the good news. They didn't keep it to themselves. Um, it says, when they had seen him, verse 17, they spread the word. 
it seems to me almost reflexive. When they'd seen him, they spread the word. They couldn't keep it to themselves concerning what they had been told about the child and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. It's a story that needs to be told. You know, the author C.S. Lewis um, wrote this. I love it. It kind of captures some of the mystery of Christmas for me. He said, once in our world, a stable had something in it that was bigger than our whole world. Isn't that a cool thought? That's part of the mystery of the God that came down the King of heaven and earth that came as a child in a manger, a lamb that was seen. I mean, it's, it's glorious. All at once it's simple and yet it's mysterious, this, this love of God, a story to be told. Christmas is really a love story. It's a story of, a love of, of the love of God you know, breaching, bridging the gap for us. Good news. And, and too good not to not share. I think sometimes... Uh, I think sometimes in our, in our modern faith, if I could put it that way, um, we in really unhelpful ways keep the goodness of God to ourselves and we put too high a value on a, some sort of a private faith, a segmented life. But our, our world needs good news. Our world also, I mentioned before, needs good deeds. And Matthew 5.16 reminds us, he says, in the same way, let your light Shine before others so they may see your good deeds. And what would be the fruit of that? It says to glorify your Father in heaven. So the fifth and final thing I want to share this morning that I take from the story of the shepherds here is that they praise and glorify God. They praise and glorify God. It says in verse 20, the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told you know, I don't say this with any condemnation. If anything, just a little conviction for myself. I just wonder how often I've been guilty of not bringing praise. You know, how often have I been? You know, we have, we have a tradition in, in our services right across our church. Wherever we gather, we have, at some point in the service, we, we have prayer requests and praise reports. And I wonder if I was to use that as a metaphor of my life, how often I sort of, so to speak, have brought my praise report but my prayer request, sorry, but then failed to bring the praise report later. I've said, God, this is what I need. But you know, there's a story where Jesus heals 10 lepers and only one comes back to say thank you. He's like, where are the others? But you know, it's easy for me to feel judgmental towards the nine, but how often would I be counted there as the one where I'm like, hey God, here's what I need. And then God blesses me, but I, I fail to bring praise or just to be thankful. You know, the, the Bible talks about entering His courts, entering the gates, literally with thanksgiving, with praise. It's like praise, thanksgiving makes way for us. But I think, I think it's good to remember there's power in our testimony. In fact, the book of Revelation says they overcame Him, speaking of Satan, the enemy, they overcame Him by the blood of the Lamb, but it says also by the word of their testimony. And they were not afraid to die. Another translation says they didn't love their lives to death. That's interesting. But the word of their testimony is one of the, the weapons in your hand. Your testimony, your story. Someone's been thinking, oh, I don't know. I can't really share about my faith. I'm no theologian. I haven't done seminary or Bible college. It's like, goodness, but you're an expert on your story. You know, when Jesus says, you, you know, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you to be my witnesses. You know, a witness doesn't have to have all the qualifications of a lawyer or a judge, a witness in a court of law. It's an imperfect analogy, but a, a witness just, you know, it says, this is what I saw, this is what I heard, so help me God, right? That's the job of a witness is to share what they saw and heard. And we can all do that. This is, you know, and, and, the, and the, the shepherds did much the same thing. 
they shared, they glorified and praised God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they'd been told. You just, here's one of the things that I think is important to remember. You never know what is on the other side of you sharing your testimony or glorifying God. You never know somebody else isn't waiting for a healing miracle or a breakthrough in their marriage or they're worried about their finance and you just sharing your story. You're just sharing how God provided for you or gave peace to you or helped you walk you through a difficult season might be the encouragement somebody else needs to think if God could do it for them, He could do it for me as well. I've got to praise and glorify God. You know, one of my mentors, um, Alan Hirsch, said recently, I was at a pastor's gathering and he made this interesting observation of, of kind of Western Christianity, which is, which is a difficult observation. He said, he, said, he said, I've noticed that in the West, uh, many people want to receive uh, Jesus as Saviour, but not receive Him as Lord. The more I reflected on that statement, the more I've realised it to be true, that, that we imagine that that's actually possible. Oh, Jesus saved me, but I'm going to stay Lord. <laughs> Jesus, Jesus, you know, uh, it's secure my eternity. I, I want to go to heaven one day, but I, I still want to be Lord of my own life. But I believe there's a connection that ties all of this that we've been speaking about together um, today. And that is that there is a connection between joy and peace and the kingship of Jesus. That we experience His kingdom of peace and joy um, when we receive Him as Lord. And that we can draw near like the angels did, like literally make the journey, draw near to God, spread the good news, bring glory and praise to Him. So I wonder, I wonder for, for you today um, where joy and peace might be needed. I wonder if maybe one of the ways we could apply the message today would be by considering our life and maybe areas of our life where we've allowed things to rob us of the peace and joy and just making a conscious decision to declare Jesus Lord again of our life, to receive Him afresh as, as King. I wonder if maybe over this Christmas season, another thing we could do with a message like this today would be to spend time in Scripture and in prayer um, declaring joy over 2020 and the year that is to come. I wonder if we could perhaps, you know, amidst all the shopping or for some travel and different things, if we could think a little like the shepherds did. I'm so glad that they didn't keep it to themselves. I'm so glad that they didn't just think, what a cool experience, you know, and, and then fail to share it. But if we could be mindful this Christmas of who around us is hurting right now um, and, and that needs joy, needs hope, needs peace and the things that so many of us have found in Jesus. I wonder if, if even this Christmas might be an opportunity for you to share the gospel uh, with someone around you, to glorify God. I've had some beautiful examples in recent weeks. As I've really been stirred, I actually believe prophetically that 2020 is to be a year, the year of harvest for our church, the year of harvest. I've not really ever been one. In a lot of traditions, they name each year, and we've never really done that as a church. But I felt so clearly lately, I, I just couldn't stop from saying it out loud, that 2020 is supposed to be the year of harvest. And of course, that means many things, and I don't believe it's just collective. I believe it's personal too. But for me, more than anything, that is about people finding Jesus next year. 
And as I've been praying into that and declaring that, even preaching on that in some of our communities, it's been astounding the doors that God has opened. Even somebody that I'd never heard from in 25 years messaged me on Instagram. I discipled him between the ages of 13 to 16. He's now 40, married, three kids. I thought all hope was lost. I remember weeping when he left the church and I never knew why until two weeks ago. (laughs) And he messaged me on Instagram, literally just said, hey, Paul, I'm thinking of returning. You're my guy. Can we talk? 25 years, I heard nothing. But I tell you, I tell you, God is always working. And in fact, I just messaged him yesterday, how are you doing? And it turns out he'd moved to another city in Australia where an old mentor of mine, Darlene Check, had planted a church. And I said, have you, have you thought about going here? He said, I went last weekend, I loved it. I'm gonna bring my whole family this weekend. I thought, come on, millions of miles away. Well, thousands, bad geography, thousands of miles. Well, it feels like millions when you're flying there though, I'm telling you. <laughs> But God is at work all around the world. Amen. So I want to I pray over you. Before I just close in prayer, I want to I just read over you something, a kind of a declaration, a prayer, if you like. Um, I came across this piece by uh, Rebecca Barlow-Jordan called The Prayer for Peace and Joy at Christmas. And I really liked it. And I felt like in some ways it was like a, like a blessing, a nice place to land this message. And she wrote this. She said, Lord... In a season when every heart should be happy and light, many of us are struggling with the heaviness of life. We need your peace, Jesus. We confess that our hearts are too often filled with wonder of a different kind, wondering when the bills will be paid, when the terror will stop, when the rest will come, will it ever? Is the message still true? In a world where worry, not peace prevails, stir up the good news again. This Advent, make it real in our hearts. Never have we needed your joy and peace more than now. Thank you for the gift of Jesus, our Emmanuel, the Word made flesh. Not only, uh, sorry, we not only need your peace and joy, Lord, we crave it. Your promised rest for the weary, victory for the battle scarred, peace for the anxious, acceptance for the brokenhearted. Not just at Advent, but every day of the year. Your name is still called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. We know that peace on earth can only come when we find, uh, when our hearts find peace with you. You are still our joy. You are still our peace. You're no longer a babe in the manger. You're Lord of Lords and King of Kings. And we celebrate you as Lord, Christmas and always. So I want to extend an invitation to us this morning. I'll have one or two of the worship team come join me. Romans 15, 13. Again, a beautiful promise, a declaration for you. It says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in Him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit.